Hi, and welcome to the Mental Health Crossroads podcast, where we explore the intersection of mental health and developmental disabilities. This week, we talked to members of the Alaska Project ECHO as part of the MHDD National Training Center. ECHO stands for Extension for Community Healthcare Outcomes. This ECHO is focused on mental health and intellectual disabilities. Faith Kelly is the coordinator for the Alaska Project ECHO, and we talked to her and a team of clinicians in this interview. Make sure to watch our channels for future episodes where we interview the clinicians individually. We hope you enjoy listening to this group. So welcome to the Mental Health Crossroads podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be speaking with the Mental Health and Developmental Disabilities Project ECHO team. And we've got several folks that are joining us. We're going to go around and do just a brief introduction so you know who's on the uh, podcast. And we'll start with Faith. Hi, all. This is Faith Kelly. I'm an ECHO Clinic Coordinator at the University of Alaska Anchorage, USAID. And I am here in my basement in Anchorage, Alaska. Thanks, Faith. Marty? Hi, good morning. My name is Marty Romero. I am a licensed psychologist here in Anchorage, currently working from home. I am on the hub team for Project ECHO, and um, I have been serving individuals who experience both developmental disabilities and mental illness for about 30 years. Thanks, Marty. Summer? Good morning from Alaska. This is Summer LaFay. I am a licensed clinical social worker and a licensed behavior analyst here at the University of Alaska Anchorage Center for Human Development. My role on the team at this ECHO is to bring um, behavioral science principle um, to the case presentations. I am talking to you today from my greenhouse because we have sun. Yes, and if we had video, you could see that she's clearly sitting in a greenhouse, which is quite lovely. Thank you. Brianne. Hello, my name is Brianne Davis. Um, I live in Anchorage, Alaska. Professionally, I work for a tribal organization that provides social services. Uh, personally, my educational background is in disability services, and I'm here as a parent advocate. I'm a lucky mom of four kiddos, two who experience co-diagnosis of mental health and developmental disabilities. We're glad to have you here. Thanks, Brian. And then Ronnie. Good morning. This is um, Ronnie Reynolds, and I'm here in Anchorage, Alaska as well. I am currently a licensed professional counselor here in Anchorage, providing outpatient therapy for um, families. I have over 30 years in the field working with mental health and developmental disabilities. Thanks, Ronnie. I have to ask, did all of you know each other very well before Project ECHO? Did you cross paths before that? Some of us. I mean, it's been, um, you know, we live in a small, big town. And so, you know, through the years, Ronnie and I certainly have worked together. Um, and then, you know, Summer and um, Brianne and I, we've, we've crossed paths in several professional um, and personal arenas. So, yeah. And Faith, this is, this is new. So um, it's been great. Wonderful. So I had the chance to be up in uh, Anchorage last summer. Uh, Alex and the rest of the team, we were up there with Faith and had a delightful time and a beautiful part of the country for sure. So we're, we're glad all of you are able to join us. And as we get started, really, some of our listeners may have no idea what we mean by ECHO when we say Project ECHO, what that even is, and others will be a little bit more familiar. So I'm wondering, Faith, uh, if you can give us a little bit of background on the big idea behind ECHO projects in general and go from there. 
Sure, Jeff. Um, well, until about a year ago, I had no idea what, what Echo was either. So <laughs> no worries there. Uh, it's um, in, in the time where we are right now, right, in pandemic time, when everything is happening over Zoom and there's so much distance delivery of information, I think that the ECHO model is a little easier to relate to for some. So it takes place over video conferencing. We've been using Zoom. It's, an, it's a, a teaching model uh, that was developed by uh, University of New Mexico Medical School. Uh, Dr. Sanjeev Arora developed it back in 2003. Um, He's a liver specialist and he was trying to find a way to better serve patients who are waiting on services, life-saving, life-altering services, um, where they'd be waiting for months or even years uh, to receive these services. And he had this inspiration while on a Skype call with his daughter where he thought, well, if I can communicate with my daughter through video conferencing, why can't I communicate with physicians who I'm training uh, through video conferencing? And there it was born. Uh, research shortly after uh, getting the model squared away uh, found that um, the outcomes for patients who were receiving services through um, echo trained physicians rather than university trained physicians were equal. And so in those, you know, I got, gosh, I guess about 17 years since it's developed into a worldwide model uh, where distance delivery uh, for, um, for people who are in um, disadvantaged populations or rural areas are able to receive um, information that would normally be siloed in, let's say an urban area or a university area where that information can get out there. Um, and in the case of our ECHO, um, we have an interdisciplinary hub team who you met. Uh, each ECHO consists of a brief lecture and uh, following that, some questions and answers and back and forth with our participants. It's a very um, interactive model. It couldn't be more different from, say, a webinar in that we really like to see our participants as involved as possible. And then that's followed by a case presentation, which is de-identified, um, where a participant is able to present either a question or, or an issue that they're experiencing with, um, with an individual. Um, and then the team is able to ask um, follow-up questions for clarification and then recommendations follow that. So it's this model of shared learning, shared teaching, um, interactive between hubs and spokes. And, um, and my role is really to sort of facilitate that and make it all happen. I'm not there as an expert, I, I do have 20 years in the disability services field here in Anchorage, um, but that's not what I bring to this echo. What I bring is that um, is the keeping things running smoothly for, for my awesome hub team and all of our amazing participants all over the country. So I want to certainly dive deep on a couple of the things that you said there, but before I do, I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about this, this echo model. So my understanding is that echoes are, are typically formed around a particular topic. And so you started like with the, the first introduction. So as echoes grew, they kind of were organized around topics. Is that correct? Correct, correct. So they came out of this, uh, this medical model uh, from this medical school at UNM. And uh, a lot of echoes are still around that, that on those medical topics, but there are echoes on education, law enforcement, social work, even agriculture, veterinary medicine. 
so there are echoes on many different topics, but it focuses on a topic, a curriculum is built around that topic, a team of uh, interdisciplinary experts who have experience in that field and varied perspectives on that topic is pulled together. And then you identify your goal and your audience in this case, of course, it's the MHDD community. Uh, and we were so lucky to find this great hub team all locally here in Anchorage. And, um, and it's really grown organically into this national conversation um, that we had hoped would happen, but it's sort of developed beyond our, even our initial hopes and expectations into, um, into something pretty huge and powerful. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more specifically about your particular ECHO, but so for our listeners, when we talk about ECHO, we're talking about a model of, of delivery. And I'm curious, so you're, you're the hub team here for this particular ECHO. When we talk about hubs and spokes, so the hub team sounds like it's the interdisciplinary group around a particular topic. Who, who are the spokes? When we say spokes, who, who are the different spokes in these ECHO models? Spokes are our end users. Um, in this case, it's um, uh, clinicians, uh, psychologists, administrative folks at uh, disability and mental health service agencies. But depending on the ECHO topic, your end user might be different. Um, and they're of all different professional backgrounds. Uh, part, of, part of the ECHO model is really about um, respecting people where they're at. And uh, you may have um, ECHOs that are made up of folks of all different educational and professional backgrounds. So making sure that the material uh, can meet people where they are and uh, that uh, questions and answers are, um, are tailored to, uh, to their particular needs. So who the audience is really would be different based on uh, what that subject matter is. Okay, great. Yeah, that's helpful. So I'm wondering if anybody else on the team wanted to chime in and add anything to uh, the kind of general description that Faith gave, or if we'd like to move into talking about this particular echo. So, I would just include family members um, as a part of the participants as well. We have had some family members who have added um, to the um, discussions that have been very helpful. Thanks, Ronnie. And that's one of the things I did want to ask and as we get into the specific echo that you are all part of, and that is really how are you involving parents and individuals with the lived experience in your particular project? Can maybe Brianne take a to lead on that and, and tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. So my role here in the ECHO is as a parent advocate. So um, I'm able to offer that perspective um, both from, I, I think from both service sides. So as a family member receiving services, kind of talking about what we might be experiencing, um, some things to consider, and also from the service delivery side, what, what to think about and, and what people are experiencing as they go through their journey. And it's nice to be able to offer that perspective um, and to offer some opportunities to work together and collaborate. Um, and we also have some in every echo we've had, we've had some really strong family members. Some are there just as a family member role and many are there in both professionally and personally like I am. And they have shared their stories and added their thoughts and it's really helped add this wonderful layer to our echo to really take our conversation to the next step. And it's really exciting to be part of that and to have this amazing platform to build, you know, advocacy and, you know, peer support. It's really a great opportunity. 
Well, I really appreciate that that explanation of how uh, parents are involved. That's certainly part of my background in the uh, developmental disability world is, and it goes all the way back to the, the early disability rights movement of nothing about us without us and, and having families involved in all aspects of the care that's being provided in the service delivery system is so critical. And so I appreciate that perspective. I do wanna back up a little bit. And how did you even become an ECHO? How does one decide we're going to have a hub, we're going to find these people, they're going to be on our team, and we're going to start an ECHO. How does that process even work? I'll jump in with that one, Jeff. Uh, you know, for me, it really was um, this this project had already started forming before I came on board at CHD. Um, and so it was um, when I joined in with the project. Um, here was this idea of, you know, we're going to do we're going to do an echo as part of this. Uh, we have this federal funding for this MHDD project, and echo is going to be one of the pieces there. Now go find a hub team, and uh, so using some you know some existing connections and then building new connections, um, reaching out there to people. Um, I actually I was looking through some old emails recently, and I was like, gosh, you know how how did I end up connecting with Marty? And it was through. Um, through Misty over at um, over at Assets, I believe, who put us in touch, and then you know it feels like it was so long ago now, but um, but it was this you know there was this thought of you know how can how can uh, education and training happen on this national level? The Echo is a perfect fit for this project, um, and then pulling that uh, that team together um, again, you know, it's it was this. A exciting assignment that I got uh, last year and uh, and now here we are with this amazing hub team and this amazing project. Well this is a good segue because I want to kind of go do a round robin and we'll start with Marty but I really love to hear how each of you actually came to be connected to this particular hub. Why is it that you chose to participate when you were offered that opportunity so why did, why did you uh, join? And then really what is the benefit to you professionally, personally for being involved in a project like this? And Marty, do you wanna chime in on that? Sure, I'll, I'll take that. Uh, so yeah, as Faith mentioned, she got in touch with me through our chief of services. And I think Faith was reaching out to all of the developmental disability organizations that she knew also provided mental health treatment and services. And so not really knowing me or my background, we met. And it was really serendipitous because um, about five years ago, I finished my, my um, doctorate and my dissertation was a, a training curriculum specifically for clinicians who had not had any um, experience working with people with developmental disabilities. And so it was kind of this no-brainer moment where we had this curriculum already developed because as Faith said, part of ECHO is developing the curriculum for the topic. And I already had this polished curriculum. And so it really became about picking and choosing which uh, topics were going to be relevant for our audience and so it kind of went from there and then you know it was it was great to be able to um, recommend people like Ronnie who you know she and I have worked together for for many for decades here and so knowing you know other clinical staff who would be able to add to the team um, so, so that's how I became a member. Um, 
this is what I've done my entire career and it's the population that I'm passionate about. Um, you know, there's not very many of us here in Alaska. And so to have an opportunity to not only connect with other people in our state who have the same passion, but to try to make an impact um, in this area that we all advocate so strongly for. And so for me, you know, yeah, it's been my life's work and this has been an avenue by which we are able to provide that information. And it became something so much bigger than just our, our little community. You know, we would love to be able to uh, touch more people locally, um, but it has been amazing to be able to touch people across the, the globe really and, and share information. One of the things that has really happened um, sort of as a side benefit, if you will, is this, th these are all kindred spirits, if you will, who have found a group of people who are experiencing similar challenges in their work, in their role as a family member. And so while yes, we do have people who I think are learning a lot and are um, recognizing that maybe they can serve people who experience developmental disabilities because they're learning that, you know, there's research out there that shows that mental health treatment is effective. They're learning clinical strategies to, um, to try. Um, but we're also, we're also um, becoming a support, I think, for people to say, gosh, I didn't realize there were other people out there who were going through the same thing, who were struggling with system-wide issues in their communities. And so that has been, I think, just the, the part that really brings me back semester after semester is to be able to have that kind of connection with people across the United States. So that was probably more than you wanted to hear, but it's definitely something that, that really I'm excited about and continue to be semester after semester. And you know we see our numbers grow all the time. And so we're creating this ripple effect, I think. And I think that's what ECHOs are all about. And so, yeah, it's, it's been a great experience that I'm, that I'm honored to, to be a part of. No, that's, that's exactly what we wanted to hear from you, Marty, and I actually want to hear a little bit more because I'm curious as I listen to you, how did this, uh, how did this become your life's work? And I, I'm going to ask that same question to others of you, so, so you have a little bit of forewarning, but you know, you talk very passionately about this. How did you end up in this field? How did you end up doing this work originally? And you can maybe give us the little Cliff Notes version because I know there's probably a lot of rich detail there, but how did you get involved in this in the first place? you know, kind of by accident and, and not. Um, I have a family member with a disability, with a developmental disability, so I've always had that um, connection there. Um, but I took a class in undergrad called mental retardation, and part of the requirement was that we work in an institution. And so that sparked my interest just with the population. And then as I worked as a direct support staff and as a case manager in a variety of environments, um, really recognizing that there was something going on with some people that was not being addressed effectively, that people were being medicated, people were being restrained. Uh, we were using, you know, behavior management is what we called it back in the, in the 80s, early 80s. Um, and, 
and nothing was really working um, unless people were were zombies with their medication. And so really looking at, you know, these people are experiencing so many of the same and, and even more life events that we all are with, with trauma. And they're experiencing post-traumatic stress and they're experiencing depression and they're experiencing anxiety and nobody's doing anything about it. And so, um, you know, really just deciding to go back to school um, while I'm serving people, developing a practice to um, try to figure out how to help people as best as I can. And then, you know, moving through the ranks with, um, you know, my role as an administrator and having a little bit more control to say, yes, we are going to serve these people because nobody else will. And then, you know, continuing on with my educational pursuits so that I could expose myself to the research that did exist to really be able to come back and say, there is evidence to say these things can work with our population. And, and here's what we can do as a small organization, as a small group of professionals to serve this population. And so here I am um, continuing to do you know, direct service and also play a, an administrative role to try to continue to have that ongoing impact. I appreciate you sharing that that kind of part of your your story with us. It's probably one of my favorite questions to ask folks, and it's such an interesting thing. Over the last several interviews, almost all of the interviews that we've asked that question, everybody has some either family connection or some early experience, even as early as like second or third grade in being assigned a peer mentor or something like that, that sparked their passion for for this work. And so I appreciate that. I'd love to hear Summer from, from you about how you became involved in this project and also maybe how you became involved in the work that you do. I, um, I work at the Center for Human Development, which is a center for excellence for people with developmental disabilities. And so our mission is to increase capacity in Alaska. Um, and so when the center started to discuss this echo, we had a few conversations about what it might look like and I think primarily the reason that I was asked is because I'm both a mental health clinician and a behavior analyst. So the majority of my licensed career has been working across systems, the developmental um, disability system in the state and the mental health system in the state. That being said, um, the reason we all know each other is because we're unicorns. Uh, truthfully, uh, we know each other because there aren't that many people doing this kind of work and when I say increase capacity I literally mean get other clinicians and other people to understand a holistic person-centered approach to caring for people um, this team has emboldened me even more than before to address this issue and in Alaska the echo model um, has really helped us get it out um, we, we struggle with accessibility every day uh, because we're so spread out and, you know, we're this twice the size of Texas at high tides. And so this echo to me has always been a mechanism to get this message out to this really diverse rural population that we have. I think we are working as a team to do that better. Um, in addition, I really, as a behavior analyst, wanted to increase an understanding of how you use behavior analysis in um, a mental health or a complex case where you have multiple diagnoses. And I've really been so excited by the group of people that come to our 
our echo because we get behavior analysts, we get psychologists, we get social workers, we get policy analysts, we get parents, we get self-advocates. Um, we really get a diverse group and it tells me that we aren't alone and we may not be unicorns much longer. Um, so much like Marty said, the systems change aspect of this echo is hugely important to me um, because we've been trying to build this capacity for a long time. And the fact that we have the attendance and the numbers at these echoes pretty, pretty routinely tells me that this is a nationwide concern that we really need to collaborate on and, and work together to solve. Uh, my primary uh, reason for being involved as, as a clinician and how I came to being where I am now is I like a ruckus. I like challenging behavior. And at the age of 15, I started working in a long-term psychiatric facility in Southern California. And I've never been interested in anything but working with folks that are struggling to get through the day. Um, and I'd say maybe in some but obvious ways. And so my entire life has been, how do we help people have a quality of life? And how do we get people connected to the right services and the right group that's helpful? And that led me on a long twisted path, <laughs> working in mental health and developmental disabilities across systems and getting super, super frustrated with not having concrete things to teach direct support staff to help folks that were really struggling and at risk of leaving their family or in Alaska at risk of being sent out of the state or at risk of institutionalization um, or incarceration. And so I pursued a, a further in, after my clinical degree in social work, I pursued a degree in behavior analysis. And that led me to working here in Alaska for the Center for Human Development. Um, they had a five, they had a small nonprofit that worked with folks that had challenging behavior around um, previously having sexually offended, and and they had developmental disabilities, mental illness, um, brain injuries, um, early dementia, many 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 challenges. And from there. Uh, I started my practice really officially across all of those arenas. So that's kind of why I'm here. I'm sorry that's kind of rambling, but it certainly wasn't a straight path. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate so much of what you said. And it's certainly as I kind of can see the participant list and who's on my screen and I'm talking to all of you, it's certainly not lost on me that I'm, I'm amongst a herd of unicorns, which is very, very rare. Uh, to find one is extraordinarily rare and to have you know, five of you here at the same time is is amazing, and and even better than that, unicorns that like a ruckus. Uh, that's that's the real that's the real gem. So I really appreciate what you were saying there, Summer. And I have to tell you all that certainly, uh, Alex and I are already thinking that we would love to do individual interviews with each of you from uh, more about your clinical practice. We have done a lot of interviews so far with. Um, different professionals, but we haven't had a chance to really sit down with some clinicians and really talk about the nitty gritty on the clinical practice side. And so if this goes well for all of you in the future, we would love to maybe do some one-on-one -on -one conversations with more about your, your lived experience as a clinician. And, and that would be lovely. So 
Thank you for that. I'd, I'd love to kind of now switch over to Ronnie and Ronnie just hear a little bit about how you became involved and, and kind of a little bit of your story. Um, I always like to say I kind of grew up in the field, uh, learning as I go um, and uh, did a lot of on the job training, learning from the individuals that I work with. Um, and so again, I think because of that work, um, knowing people um, that I think Marty um, provided my um, name to Faith. And I think we actually talked while I was actually out of state. Um, but again, the opportunity to even be a part of such um, an amazing um, adventure has it, just been um, extremely encouraging for me. I think when um, Faith asked, it was like, no doubt, yes. Um, what do you need me to do? What do I, where do I sign? It was very exciting just to uh, be thought about. And I know Marty and I have worked together a long time and being a part of various agencies here in Anchorage, um, it's always been a challenge to serve this population because again, as Summer has said, just a handful of us. And so um, I've always had the privilege of working um, in an organization where they um, have served this population. And again, I think, the idea that as I learn, it was um, always a privilege to share what I've learned. And I think we've always had the desire to do more um, and carry more folks along with us on this journey. And I think the key to that is being open-minded and willing to learn, which is why I think this ECHO project has been so helpful for me because after 30 years in the field, I can't tell you how many notes I write still as I'm learning, as we're sharing um, in the ECHO, uh, in the Project ECHO. And so again, I've, I've had, um, I like to say I, I kind of stumbled across this field by accident, never in my wildest dreams thought this is what I'd be doing. Um, but once I got into it um, in undergrad, not having any idea what I was getting into or really how to do it, I think that was a um, kind of a carrot for me to, um, step up to the challenge and, and figure out how to do better. And during the course of my journey, I started out doing direct service work as a DSP. Um, and again, literally having no idea exactly how to do it. But during that process, um, realizing that there was more to what I was being told I needed to do. Um, people were presenting with more of a need than what I um, had it expected. And so again, as I continue to learn, realizing I still needed to learn more and that there was more to um, the individual and that I needed to learn how to work with a whole person and not just one area or one ability. And so again, it sparked my interest to continue in the field. And as I um, met other people who had that same interest, it made it a lot easier to do that. And again, I too have kind of taken a lot of different paths, but have gone from direct service to kind of administrative responsibilities to clinical supervisory roles. And then now where I am providing direct service again. But one of the things that I wanted to talk about is in that supervisory role is that, um, again, it's one thing for us to know as kind of the clinical staff is to be able to pass those strategies and again, our training on to the direct service staff because they're the, the, the boots on the ground and they're the one who are out there um, doing the work. And so for me, it's been helpful to be able to relate to those direct service staff, having that direct experience myself. And so part of this project is that when I hear 
that there's a whole lot of folks across the country who is experiencing the same uncomfortableness that I did, trying to figure out how to best serve individuals and families. Um, and though there's been lots of progress made, um, I think the Project ECHO is an amazing opportunity to continue to learn and share um, with each other and from each other. And um, I am so, so privileged to be a part of this project and it feels like home. Um, there's been a really, for me, a really good connection with this team. Um, again, when I was asked, it was a no-brainer, um, of course. And I think when the first one was over, I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Uh, we got to keep doing this. And when Faith made the comment that we, we may do a second one, I, I don't think I gave a chance to say, would you like to be a part of it? It was like, sign me up. Because each time, it's just, it gets better and better each time. And to see the numbers increase, it lets me know that this is what was meant to be. And so I am grateful for um, the experience. And even after all this time, I'm still learning and there's so much more that can be done to serve this population. Thank you, Ronnie. And I have to say, you know, one of the things I love about being able to host this little podcast, uh, we kind of joke that we have more episodes than listeners at this point, but as it grows, I'm excited for more people to hear from, from all of these people that are so passionate. And the cool thing for me as the host is I feel less alone. I get to connect with people that are equally passionate and even more passionate about this population than, than I have been. And, you know, this is a career I came into based on an experience with a younger sibling. And, and so I've been doing this for a while, but it's, it really is like to find that, that group of people that are equally passionate about this, this population and improving the lives of individuals and their families. It's, it's a really exciting part of this, this job. You, I don't want to skip Brianna. I'm going to come back to Brianna, but you've often mentioned, all of you have kind of mentioned um, the number of people this is reaching. So I'm curious, what, Faith, what is kind of the attendance? How, how many people are you reaching? It sounds like they're nas national. Can you tell us a little bit about the numbers that you're reaching through this project? Sure, yeah. Our, our numbers have been... Uh kind of amazing right from the start. Uh, just for a little background, a typical ECHO usually has around like 25 to 30 participants um, to have a, a, an effective back and forth conversation. It works really well that way. Uh, when we launched the uh, pilot, so the fall 2019 pilot, um, within, oh my goodness, just a couple of days, I contacted the hub team and I was like, <gasps> Oh my gosh, you guys, we have hundreds and hundreds of people registering. We ended up with 500 registrations for that pilot. And I mean, that was sort of our first clue that we're tapping into something pretty powerful here. We already knew we were, but we didn't even do a whole lot of outreach. It was like a couple of emails went out onto listservs and it just sort of caught fire. We were amazed. So for that pilot, we left we let about 100 people through the door um, for our registration and we had um, an average attendance of around 40 or 45 people per session in that first series. But we had a couple of really big sessions and uh, for the next um, iteration, and I have to say just Ronnie, you were like the biggest cheerleader for making that happen. It was such a cool conversation and I can remember it so well when you were like, we gotta do it again, like let's do it. Like let's just jump right in and do it, no question. Um, but for, for that next iteration, the, um, the Winter Spring Series that started in January and that just wrapped up in April, um, 
we decided to open up the door a little bit more and uh, we had some folks who had participated in the previous echo and a bunch of new folks as well and our average uh, numbers were probably more like around 50 or something and then of course the pandemic hit and uh, we knew that we needed to address this with um, with our um, participants and this was a direct way that we could connect everyone in this conversation um, and so we opened it wide up, sent out an invitation to that, um, that initial list of 500. And so our numbers for the second half of that series were like more, more like around 75 people per session. And at that point, the hub team has just got it down that um, you're all so well able to manage a conversation among the large group um, that our launch for our summer series that just, uh, just started last week. Uh, we had 108 separate uh, logins for that one, and it was just smooth and just a wonderful back and forth conversation. Uh, this team is just so good at engaging with people, encouraging them to speak up, whether it's, you know, via the chat box or verbally piping in. Um, so that growth while I was as, you know, with my echo hat on, I was nervous about growing, you know, and making the group bigger and opening it up more um, with the encouragement of this team of we've got to get this message out, we've got to reach all these people. Um, it's really just proven that it is just as effective and our evaluations state that, that, you know, even though it's gotten bigger, um, our participants are still um, satisfied and, and giving us great feedback in our evals. So I feel like it could even get a little bit bigger and we'd be okay. Well, yeah, those are those are really amazing numbers when you think about typical echoes being closer to 25, 30 folks. And that clearly demonstrates how how hungry the field is for good information. You know, Ronnie, you talked about being in the field and not knowing what to do and not really having. So there's so many people that are in that same boat still these years later that are that, But thankfully we have things like echo now that people that are feeling isolated, different parts of the country can tap into this and to have, and to realize there's a group of over 500 people that immediately want to talk about these things. That is, that is huge. And that is very exciting. I, I do want to go to Brianne and just hear from Brianne, how you got involved and kind of what the benefits you've seen for your participation and a little bit of your story, if you want. Sure. My uh, connection's a little bit different. So I joined the uh, Mental Health and Developmental Disability National Training Center Advisory Board in late 2018 and have been participating there um, on their board helping to create this training center so people could be connected. Um, and it was through that opportunity that I was offered, you know, connected with ECHO, but my journey into the field started a lot earlier than that. Um, so I said before, I have four kiddos, two who experience co-diagnosis, and um, my youngest kiddo in particular had a really some, some significant challenges, um, very significant in fact, and so we were really faced with, um, you know, talking about those things that everyone else is saying, like the out-of-state placement, institutionalization, and I just thought, you know, and I, we reached out for help to every single organization there was in our community and no one knew what to do. And so I figured, okay, well, if no one knows what to do, maybe I'll try and figure it out. So I started going to night school through the Center for Human Development 
and um, I was taking night classes. I did my practicum on my own, you know, with my own son and these projects, and I enjoyed it very much, and we were able to make a really big impact. And so once I got my children's behavioral health certificate, I decided to keep going. It was so helpful. So um, I ended up uh, getting my degree in disability services. And when it came time, when I was able, when things were more stable and we were really able to utilize a lot of community resources and make some pretty big changes, and I was able to go back to work. I didn't think I should work in the same field that I was living my journey in every day. It just seemed like too much. And so I went into social services, but, um, on the side, I still like to, I mean, this is my passion. It's what I live every day. And, and so um, I always look for places where I can be involved. And I served on um, the board of directors for the Stone Soup Group for many years, which is a, a local family organization here in Alaska. And when I um, finished my time there, I was looking for some opportunities that would be a good fit. So when the MHDD opportunity for their advisory board came up, I thought this will be cool. You know, I'll get to work with people across the nation and develop this tool that people can use um, because I know our, I know the challenges we face every day and, and I'm very interested in helping create those paths for other families because I know how hopeless it can feel and I know what challenges it might, you know, face when someone says, hey, you know, do this, go to this ABA therapy. Okay, well, how do I get there? And, and you know, what do I do with my other children while I'm there? And, you know, how do I work and manage those appointments? There's a lot of challenges um, from the family member side that people experience that may not be as easy to see. So bringing a voice to that is very powerful for me in, um, you know, kind of dealing through what we've been through. And it's our silver lining to be able to connect other families in that way. And, you know, clinicians and professionals to help them see what we're dealing with and what we might be experiencing to add, you know, something to the services that they provide. And so when Faith emailed me, I don't think she realized I was in Alaska when she emailed me. She was like, hey, we got your name that you are someone who is involved and, and might enjoy this opportunity to share. And I was like, hey, I'm in Alaska too. So we met up and she explained, I'd never heard of an echo before. And she explained to me the model. And I'm so excited to be able to share our journey and use it as a tool for others to be able to grow. And, and I know everyone else has already said this, but I'll, I'll echo it, pun intended. And uh, you know, every time we do an echo, I just, I walk away with more and uh, I really grow and it leaves me so inspired. Um, and the people that we, connect with through our echoes, family members, parents, self-advocates, clinicians, directors. The conversation is so rich and I feel like we're all more for having shared those moments together. So you know that parent perspective, Brianne, being involved and that that the expertise of the lived experience, right? Whether it's a parent or an individual that experiences both ID and MH, mental health and intellectual disability. It's, it's that expertise that comes from living this journey that is so valuable. And then as you know, clinicians and other professionals, uh, the expertise that comes in from seeing a wide a, array of families that are going through this journey, being able to see patterns and see themes and, and figure out ways to help as many people as possible. So this idea of this interdisciplinary team is just such a beautiful thing. I would love to talk a little bit about some of the mechanics, right? So you talk about kind of how a, an echo session goes, what are the pieces of that? I, I want to talk a little bit about when you staff cases, right? So that seems very meaningful to the person that's the case that they're having, that they're bringing to the team to staff. 
Um, what are some of the, the benefits of that, but what are some of the challenges that might come up in staffing cases with a group of 75 people or however you go about doing that? So can you give me just a little bit of a, a quick overview of the actual process of staffing a case in an ECHO meeting? I'll, I'll jump in, but I just have to say that Ronnie, I think we all bow down to Ronnie on this one because Ronnie has taken on the often Herculean task of managing that delicate territory of supporting someone through presenting their case. Sort of the first step is encouraging people to go out on a limb and, and present that case, which puts you in a vulnerable position, right, of asking a question. I don't know what to do, please help me. That's a vulnerable spot for anyone. Um, and for the majority of our echoes, um, uh, getting cases submitted and seeking them is probably the hardest role for any echo coordinator. In this echo in particular, however, because we have struck this sort of magic chord with people, our cases um, just sort of come pouring in. Um, we have had, we've had loads of people interested in having those cases. So there's some preparation that happens on the outside end, but then we hand it over to Ronnie. And then Ronnie, if you want to talk about what that, what that looks like um, in action, it's all you. So thank you. Um, yes, uh, again, I, I am honored to um, be, be in that um, role at this time. And it has been um, very, very interesting. And I, I can tell you, I was a little nervous at the beginning um, thinking how, how do you facilitate a conversation with that many people. Um, but I, I think it has been, um, it, it's been amazing, honestly. And um, again, our, our presenters have been uh, really good with sharing the case. And again, um, it's, it's nice to be able to uh, solicit um, feedback and questions from our participants um, as well as to ensure that our presenters are providing enough detailed information without um, reaching any confidentiality of the, the case they're presenting. Um, and so that's been really good. And, and it, it does get to, um, you know, the larger the number, of course, and depending on who the participants are, um, you, you want to encourage um, certain participants sometimes without calling a particular person out directly. Um, so, so again, trying to pay attention to um, who is actually participating and encourage those participants to share, whether it's from a um, clinical perspective, administrative perspective, or um, a, a policy maker. So just depending on the case that's presented and the, and the question that is asked of the presenter, um, I think that's where I usually try to get my guidance from and how to solicit um, feedback. And um, I think it is um, important. Part of that is to encourage the participants to participate in the um, discussion and share their experiences. Because again, the idea of this project is that we all are learners. And so if we don't hear from our participants, then you know, we're missing out on a valuable piece of this um, this project. And so again, um, I think the team really helps in uh, paying attention to the chat box because you're looking at the chat box, people are responding and asking questions and sharing recommendations that way, um, as well as, um, you know, verbalizing their, their recommendations and suggestions to 
to the presenter. Um, so it really is a, a group effort. And again, um, depending on what the case is and what the discussion is about, including um, our hub um, team um, to share their expertise. And so what I do know about our hub team, um, that's another opportunity to encourage them to chime in and putting them in, trying to put them in at the right spot. And so again, we're kind of talking sidebar amongst ourselves to make sure that we are um, sharing our, our experiences and what we know on our end as well. Um, so it definitely is, um, it, it takes some skill. And I, again, I'm fortunate that I, I was asked, I probably wouldn't have never necessarily volunteered, um, but it, it's been great and I, I enjoy it. So. Let me ask this. So I, I can see if I'm a, cl a clinician and I bring a case to this group, that's going to be incredibly beneficial to me to get all of this kind of wisdom and input and guidance and questions. And that's going to be very, very clarifying. So if I'm a clinician in Logan, Utah, that this is the first individual I've served that has this co-occurring situation, this is going to be incredibly valuable. For the other people that might not be staffing the case that day that are kind of listening in, maybe it's a direct service worker uh, what are the benefit? What are they taking away? What do you think they're taking away from this? Is it is it listening and being able to generalize to their situations, like and pick up little tips and and things like that? Is that the benefit? What what are the, your thoughts on that? Um, I, I think again, part of the the lecture is providing some kind of overarching information um, for folks, and then again, we are asking. Um, the participants for any clarifying questions so that they can get a particular understanding of what is being presented um, and also again soliciting specific recommendations suggestions so people are able to leave with their questions um, answered they're able to um, kind of apply this to their day-to-day -day lives and, and the work that they're doing and um, offering suggestions as well as asking questions that would be helpful for them. The other part that um, Faith has done an amazing job of um, collecting um, and compiling all of the suggestions, recommendations, and um, making that available to all of the participants so people can have that information uh, later to refer back to or um, people have been connected with each other, um, people have um, shared their direct experiences and um, any similar experiences they may have and strategies that work for them. So you walk away from um, a, um, a session with some specific information, not only for yourself, at least for me, I think individually in my, my work, as well as if I have um, specific cases or someone that I'm working with, I can walk away with a specific skill a strategy or even a resource or know that I can go back and look in um, the box and, and there's resources and information there for me. So it's a rich um, opportunity of resources for people to, to have at their disposal. Thank you so much, Ronnie. And I know that, yes, coming away from uh, something with tangible, applicable, concrete ideas and resources is is so valuable um everybody's time is very important and being able to walk away after a session like that would be i can see how that'd be immensely helpful to everybody that was was involved how does echo involved in systems change i think ronnie you mentioned maybe policymakers are involved so marty 
I, I would just say that, and, and Ronnie mentioned, you know, the lecture piece, which is um, frequently my piece. Um, you know, I really try, while it's driven from a clinician's standpoint, to include all of the spokes and their roles and talk to how they can apply this information in their role as an administrator, in their role as a nurse, in their role as a direct service provider or a family member. Um, and that's one of the beauties of having Brianne, because you know, I, I bring the research and I bring you know, the kind of nitty gritty clinical stuff and Brianne always follows it up with, and this is how we can apply it as a family. And I think all of the things that we talk about when Summer talks about um, ADA and from coming from a trauma-informed uh, perspective, how do we take that information and apply that in our role as um, policymakers? And so we really try to take the information and help people sort of, um, you know, turn the prism so that they can view that information in light of their role. And I think this team does a, an exceptional job. So, you know, we've had cases even where, you know, the issue is done and over with, but we're encouraging people to hear the information being presented and to ask questions and provide information that is going to help people make changes at that policy level. And, you know, examples of that being, you know, how do we get education in the university systems in our graduate programs so that clinicians are not leaving without having some understanding of this population. And so I think we are um, starting to have that kind of an impact. Um, I'd like to definitely see that continue and to have more policymakers definitely at the table. But I do think that we're, we're making, you know, we're taking baby steps for sure. Thanks, Marty. And Summer, did you want to chime in on that? Sure. Uh, when I think about the ECHO model, the original ECHO model was designed to get people to treat hep C, to get doctors to treat hep C, so to increase the clinical skill level so that more people could get treatment. So there's that aspect to the ECHO. But the other aspect to the ECHO is this model, this way of increasing capacity reaches more people faster. And it has applicability nationally, right? And so the systems change piece for us, uh, and I'm speaking totally out of turn um, for the Center for Human Development, is that raising of capacity for persons that experience developmental disabilities and their quality of life. And the only way we're going to be able to do it if we is if we continue to build these collaborative groups that are having these discussions that are including all of the stakeholders. And so when I, when I agreed to participate in this, clinically, it's not as specific as some of the behavior analytic interventions that I'm involved in, but systemically, it's super important um, the, because this discussion, as far as I know, where real people that really have people in their lives that need help hasn't really occurred on a national level. And that is super exciting. And, um, and then being able to meet other clinicians and grow my practice and their practice collaboratively, I think is the wave, is very much the way we're going to move in the future. 
And we started this echo, this is a, an indicator for me, we started this echo before the COVID-19 um, pandemic, and we had those kind of numbers. So, so it, it bodes well for our future uh, team, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, thank you so much for that perspective and grounding it back even to the original Echo and, and the model. I think, you know, I've, I've been a fan of Echoes and I, I've kind of been on the periphery of them and I'm walking away from this conversation just so excited about the potential for this project to just continue to grow and benefit other people. So I am so deeply grateful for your time and, and talking about these things and, and getting it out. So that is the question. If somebody is hearing this and like wants to get involved, Faith, what's their what's their way into the next round of what you're going to be doing? Well, we are still accepting registrations for our summer series, and uh, you would go to the MHCD. What is? Gosh, I can't say our. Uh, what's the website address? This is where I'm glad you edit. MHCDcenter.org, thank you. And there's a banner there that directs you uh, straight to our registration page. Uh, it's an easy registration, uh, one-time registration, and then you'll get email updates from us that invite you to uh, each session. It's every other week on Thursdays from 10 to 11.30 Alaska time. And we have the time stamps for, uh, for all the other time zones around the country uh, posted on our registration site. Uh, this echo, uh, this is our third um, iteration of the series and we're going to keep on trucking. Uh, so we will have another series that will start again in the fall and then we'll have another, I mean, it's just going to, just going to keep on rolling so long as we, we have our funding in place and so long as this team is excited about it, we're going to keep on rolling and we're, you know, we're always dreaming and scheming in the background in our debriefs at the end of each session. Um, and just quickly for a moment while I have my mic open, I just have to give Brianne some, um, some props on, on <laughs> as far as um, Echo goes worldwide. This, uh, Marty alluded a little bit to it when, um, so we have part of the Echo model is, you know, we have this lecture that then leads into some Q&A and then we have a case presentation, clarifying questions, recommendations. We added something new to um, the MHCD Echo in that we have this moment for family reflection. And it came about really organically like so many things do with this team. There's been so much with this team that has been serendipity, organic growth. That, I mean, it's part of what makes it such a joy to work with this group. And I wish I could remember, and maybe somebody else does exactly how it came about, but we're, but we came up with this idea that Brienne would give a family reflection following that first lecture. We loved it so much that we've built it in. And not only has it become a solid piece of our model, but um, as I mentioned earlier, Echo is this worldwide uh, model. It's used all over the place. There are um, over 90,000 learners around the world who have participated in Echoes. And uh, there's a network that connects um, ECHO coordinators and ECHO staff around the world. And so I've um, been connected with um, ECHO Ontario. Um, they have um, an ECHO there that's uh, around a developmental disability and mental health. And they're using the same model. They said, you know, what tips and ideas do you have for us? I said, oh, well, this thing that we're doing with Brienne as our parent reflection is so cool. They love it. They started it with their first echo in that series and they're rolling with it. 
there's an echo in Australia that's palliative care for uh, children. Uh, and they have a, a parent involved with their echo. They're doing the exact same thing. And it's been a huge enhancement to their echo. Uh, so um, we're just in the very beginning stages of it, but Echo Ontario uh, has has reached out to us to, um, th they wanna dig in a little bit more and, and put together um, some information and um, about you know how this change to the model has really um, has really sort of shifted the way that a family can benefit from this. That it's not just about the professional perspective. That it's really about that family perspective as well. And I think that Brienne, your involvement has also opened the door to make it easier for those family members who are participating in our echoes to feel more comfortable being part of that conversation. It just makes it all the richer of an experience for everyone. So I really, you know, it's, it's this small thing, but it's so impactful. And that this small thing that happened in Anchorage, Alaska and got broadcast all over the country through this echo is now happening um, around the world with these other echoes and I'm sure it will just continue to ripple effect from there. So uh, it's pretty amazing. Thanks for listening to the MHDD Crossroads podcast, where we explore the intersection of mental health and developmental disabilities. This podcast is part of the MHDD National Training Center. You can visit our website at mhddcenter.org for trainings and resources, and make sure to follow us on social media at MHDD Center. Also, if you don't already, make sure to subscribe, listen, and share this podcast wherever you get yours. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon.